Comics Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Joel, and I'm joined by our other co-host... is me, Jake. And yeah. today, we're going to talk about comic books. We're going to talk about all about them. Them funny papers, people. That's good times, great times. Yeah, it's a good time, because I know last month I uh, saw the release of the newest Avengers movie, and... Yeah. Next month is, is Ant-Man. Ant-Man. I like Ant-Man a lot. A little disappointed that directorship did not go the direction that we really wanted it to. But, uh, you know, that's that's how the cookie crumbles on that. Well, they're pumping these movies out so fast, you can't, you know... They had to get their schedule out. They wanted to release it this summer, and if they didn't pick a new director, ASAP... Yeah, that's true. It never would have got done. Oh, but... Speaking of pumping these movies Yo, out yeah, so fast, yeah, it's it's we have it in an insane next four years. If you like comic books, like I think a lot of people do nowadays, which I think we're going to touch on here in a little bit. Uh, but if you like them, boy, howdy, is it is it the time to be alive right now? Indeed, yeah, in just uh, just the whole Marvel Disney universe because Disney purchased marvel comics a couple years ago and they're the ones that have been pumping out all these marvel movies uh there are 10 movies scheduled to be released in the next four years just from marvel and that's you know ant-man and the new captain america dr strange i'm really looking forward to dr strange (laughs) sequels to guardians of the galaxy and sorcerer supreme is great let's do this (laughs) black panther captain marvel the Inhumans and a two-part Avengers sequel, which yeah, the in- and by the way, the Inhumans I- exists only because they can't touch uh, X Men because uh, they didn't have a film company originally, and they had to partner with somebody, so they sold the rights to another company. Frankly, uh, Fox, which they also sold the rights to anything that's a mutant, which was real <laughs> dumb. So yeah, because of that, Fox has its own slate of <sighs> comic yeah. book movies coming out. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse is filming now. That could be good. Deadpool is also filming now. Better be amazing. And I think Wolverine 3 is in pre-production. It's going to be a real piece of crap. <laughs> Fantastic Four Fantastic that's Four out. also comes out this summer. That is going to be probably trash. Yeah. Uh, don't watch it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's not it. That's We also have Sony trying to reboot Spider-Man again. Not a not a good idea. <laughs> uh, I realize, and this is this is not a spoiler alert for you people, but just letting you know that Spider Man is going to show up. Apparently, I believe in Captain America: Civil War. So yeah, uh, that... because Spider Man was had a big hand in the whole Civil War comic book story arc. So they worked it out with Sony so that he could come back. And that'll be the first time Marvel Studios itself is able to use one of their most popular characters. That they sold. Yeah. That... <laughs> See, we, 20... think it's, we think it's dumb now. We look at what the, at the time, it was probably super smart. Because they made, they made a ton of money off that. Yeah. 20 years ago, Marvel Comics was going through bankruptcy. Yeah. And this is the whole reason that they no longer have the rights to some of these characters yeah. that are... You know, incredibly popular. They had to. They had to sell them. Yeah, they had to do something (laughs) to make the money back, so that they could get out of bankruptcy. And it's just so sad that they never got to that point. So, 
But and, and not to mention, I guess not to mention the movies, but uh, the the TV shows now is just getting crazy. <laughs> Every single network, I think CW has like two or three of them. Yes, uh, the Flash and Arrow. Which um, the Flash super good. The Arrow has gotten good. I didn't start watching the Arrow, but I've seen a couple episodes. It gets better, but it I th- I feel like it it was dealing with the spillover from uh, Smallville. And Smallville was really slow. And <laughs> so that if it's dealing with that super slow, long drama and moving toward being more of an, you know, action drama kind of. I mean, I guess you can't call it anything but that. <laughs> the Flash is really good. Um, and I guess ABC has, what, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter? I haven't watched Agent Carter. I haven't either, but I I've, heard, to, I've I, heard good things nothing about but it. Nothing but hard. It's better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I really like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, And yeah. then Netflix is coming out with its own slate of yeah, series. We, I know. we wouldn't be amiss if we didn't mention the new hotness on the block, Jenny on the block, Daredevil. <laughs> Daredevil was fantastic. So Daredevil's super good. Uh, very, very adult, very violent, which is different from Marvel. Um, but yeah, I've I've told some family members maybe not let your kids watch this. <laughs> yeah, probably one, not. I mean, they can do what they want. That's their choice. But like, there's a lot of punchy violence in this, and curse words, and blood, and yeah, there's and real serious stuff happens. You know, like in the comic books. <laughs> Uh, I would say at this point, the Daredevil TV show probably follows the comics in theme as well as uh, probably Avengers, like any of the Avenger properties. Although I think some people would argue with me about like Thor. I don't know. <laughs> I don't read Thor comics, so there you go. Well, I know that uh, Daredevil's just the first of four or five shows that Netflix is you, putting together. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. I haven't heard They're I building up to the this. Defenders. They're doing AKA Jessica Jones next. Oh. And then they're also doing Iron Fist. I Which think. Is, that's going to be good. And people, there are huge fans of Iron Fist. And I know that sounds crazy because <laughs> nobody knows who Iron Fist is outside of the comic book world, but people love Iron Fist. And they're doing Luke Cage, not to be confused with Nick Cage. Well, yeah, because Nick Cage is crazy. Well, Luke, Luke yeah. Cage is just poor <laughs> and sad. Um, you know, yeah, uh, aka Power Man uh, for those for those who need a moniker. Although he's real interesting because he doesn't actually like that name. <laughs> that Luke Cage is one of those one of those heroes that does get brought up a lot because he is in that Spider Man. Daredevil, New York area superhero. Yeah, but he he works. He is, as his moniker states, a hero for hire. <laughs> he well, works full moon. They're going to have their own mini Avengers called the Defenders. After all four of those series end, and they're going to have the the culmination be the Defenders. Why so, not? Because it's it, they're the printing, shared universe. They are printing money with the movies. Why not do a shared universe TV show and print extra money? And everything is going to be a shared universe. I mean, you have DC copying Marvel now, and they also have what Batman versus Superman filming, Suicide Squad filming, Aquaman. Just they hired a director for Aquaman. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Which uh, I'm not happy about because he was supposed to be working on the Robotech movie, which he's now officially signed on for, but not until he's done with Aquaman. That's the Fast and Furious director guy. That is right? the Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah. James Wan, which yeah. 
Uh, we're not going to make any puns because we're above that, and uh, everybody else has already done it. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the big that's the big news. Yeah, they have. You know, they're also building two Justice League, so more shared movies. They're just wait two Justice Leagues. Yeah. They're you, building you've, up to you've obviously League. okay yes you've obviously been following but it's going to be two parter oh okay that makes yes. more sense to me yes there's yes. going to be two justice uh, justice films just or justice league films now there's yes. not going to be just the one yes okay correct all right yeah. that, that makes me feel oh <laughs> come on guys uh, so what between that there's like over twenty movies coming out in the next couple years that are all. Just in the next couple years, not even like ten years down the line, like within five years, there's going to be twenty plus superhero Ugh. movies coming out. My wallet cries <laughs> because, as someone who grew up with all of these being established comic franchises, uh, and w- there were stories and stories and stories I could read. This isn't something I could say I grew up with because these are much older than you or I. I mean, I think say I could safe to say that my father grew up with these because my father was born in the fifties. Yeah, most of the characters that are getting very popular right now, all the Marvel stuff, they were all made during the sixties. Yeah, um, and then of course there's the very early the Batman's and the Superman's that were made in the thirties and forties. Right, right. Which yeah. I think to. We would be remiss, I think, for the audience, uh, for you guys, you listeners out there, uh, if we didn't talk at least a little bit about just briefly touching on some of the history of comics. Yeah, how uh, did how did comics get to this point? Yeah, because this popularity? is because this is insane. Twenty years ago, I don't think ten year old me, twelve year old me, uh, dating myself, there <laughs> everyone knows my age, would have ever dreamed that uh, he would have seen this many movies this quickly i think uh you know x-men when i was in college that was that was amazing and we were all super excited and that that movie still holds up that movie really kind of kicked off the yeah i mean i think actually technically blade kicked off the modern superhero movie yeah (laughs) yeah and he's a marvel property and he has his own comics even though from what i understand he shows up first in spider-man um, because Spider-Man apparently has to fight vampires at one point in time. <laughs> okay, that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes as or, much sense as anything else that yeah, happens in those books. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, the, for those that haven't followed at home, comics don't make sense uh, most of the time. They're, yeah, they, they, um, they just build up more and more ridiculous stories until they collapse under their own weight and then reboot. You have, I think you've, <laughs> you've put that together... Like like a, a mosaic of puzzle pieces, <laughs> you have fit that to the T. That is exactly how it goes, <laughs> which is in some ways you could think of as being kind of sad. But how else do you keep these properties alive for what is what is now at least starting in the golden age, nineteen thirty eight? Yeah, like we're looking seventy plus years. Yeah, how and the the way you do that is by reboots um which we'll get more into that time period because i know i i have read a couple of these reboots uh which are real interesting to to look at because uh some of them are properties of the time and some of them were just be like we have too many comics we need to slim down (laughs) we need to kill some people it's uh it's very difficult to keep a story going when you're trying to remember all the different story threads and oh yeah make them relevant just look at game of thrones right now oh hey 
That show's great. <laughs> yeah. Let's, but yes, uh, let's look at the Game of Thrones books. Yeah. They're even worse. Yeah. Um, but Action Comics number one. So yeah, you mentioned the Golden Age of comics, yeah. and this was the beginning of the Golden Age. Yes. Number one. Uh, yeah. Action Comics number one is now considered. Because, uh, I mean, history is written by revisionists, and so at the time, obviously, it didn't seem like this, but it was what kicked off the golden age of comics. <laughs> and it, I believe it's considered uh, the most valuable comic, depending on its uh, its rating. Oh, I'm uh, sure it's, that it's... its rarity and importance... It, it, rarity only because it's so old, depending on its quality... One thing that I think you and I may not know this, and I didn't know this until I started doing a little more research on the history of comics, is that they printed millions of copies of Superman 1 because it sold like crazy. (laughs) Adults and kids were buying Superman 1, uh, which not necessarily unheard of because even before that time period, comics were popular among adults. You find them in uh, in newspapers. I mean, they they sold newspapers. Yeah. What what was how, how did comics even get to that point where I, I mean, nineteen thirty eight was you know the start of the golden age, but that's really when it became a mainstream thing. So yes. what what were they before? Um, before that, uh, I mean, there are some people that even talk about going all the way back into like the. 1600s talking about like frescoes and wall hangings from medieval Europe uh, because only because they consist of images and text telling a story. Oh, the one uh, the one thing that stands out is I watched a video that Jake sent me a little yes. bit ago, and it's a lecture from some college class about comic books. No, but, super good, by the way. It's on. Uh, uh, if you want to watch it, uh, which we'll, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, I think, because I think that's that one's worth watching. Uh, they mentioned the original passion play, or like the yeah, yeah. What the, are those things called? The the passion of the Christ. Yeah, uh, yeah. for those uh, who are religious. But yeah, <laughs> that that is a pictorial representation of the story. Which, the stations of the cross. The stations yeah, of the yeah, yeah. The stations of the cross. Uh, showing the passion of the Christ, if you will. Yeah, um, and each station is a different panel, and it tells a story. Yeah, so that's kind of how. I mean, it might They're be in, reaching a little bit, but in, uh, you can kind of see it. It is reaching a little bit as far <laughs> as we consider modern comics, but it still contains all of the main components of what makes a comic a comic. <laughs> uh, it is pictorial representations of the story, regardless of text. Although text, I think for a lot of people, is what can make or break a comic. But it's not just, it's not like it's a painting, and it's not a drawing. Because it's uh, even though a single painting or drawing can tell a story, it is a series of them that flow in a narrative arc. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we'll we'll break this all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pencils and drawings. Uh, no, that's <laughs> moving. Uh, but really, the first commercially viable cartoon comes from Richard Felton uh, Outcult. Outcult, I think, is his name. Um, he uh, is the creator of Hogan's Alley, uh, which is the nice name for that, because I think it was the Yellow Kid was originally what it was about, <laughs> and it might have been a little on the racist side. Um, but it was really it was it was what sold papers. That I mean, was 1895, right? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right around the turn of the century 
is when those comics really started to come into their own. Uh, and we should note that we, um, doing some research, we found this great ebook by John Petty uh, from Heritage Auction Galleries. It's called A Brief History of Comic Books. And there's some great information. Yeah. um, Well, Heritage Heritage is is one of the companies that does the grading. Yeah. Uh, Or no, and they don't do the grading. Excuse me. They they do the majority of the selling of the the top grossing comics. Uh, They're a big auction site. So it it behooves them to inform (laughs) their populace of the history of what they're selling. (laughs) So if you're interested in what we're talking about in this podcast, uh, we'll have a link to that ebook in the show notes. It's free for download. It's a PDF. And... It'll go into more detail about some of the things we're talking about. Yeah, it's very professionally put together, so yeah. it's, it's totally worth looking at. Uh, one of my favorite uh, from this time, the, kind of the pre-Golden Age uh, comics, would be uh, Windsor McKay, which some people might know from a cartoon short he did called Gertie the Dinosaur. Uh, it was a really popular, silent, animated film. It was one of the first... Uh, and it, it just features this goofy dinosaur, and it was both live action and animation. Yeah. Huh. Which, at, at the time, 1914, <laughs> was crazy. And I, I have a feeling some people thought that, you know, you could tell it was a drawing because it was black and white. But I think at the time, there was some, there was some blown minds. I think that was a pretty impressive well, animation technology. Animation was pretty new back then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty... Pretty Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, there. that's yeah. yeah that's, eh, I, I'm not not sure on the numbers on that one because uh, who knows? When, I can't tell you exactly when Steamboat, Steamboat Willie was Willie. out. Yeah, uh, but Windsor McKay, as far as comics are concerned, is probably best known for Little Nemo and Dreamland, which Little Nemo is. Uh, I think it, it. I did not realize this. There is still it's still in print. There's a company that owns Little Nemo, the property, and produces comics about Little Nemo's adventures in Dreamland. So the, that alone is crazy because that's over a hundred years old. Yeah, that uh, that goes back. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not overly familiar um, with Little Nemo. With Little Nemo, but uh... I think for uh, for some people around. Your and I's age, uh, Disney Channel used to show the the movie, little, the animated Japanese film Little Nemo in Dreamland a lot, and it was I don't know I think it was distributed by Miramax because they did a lot of that at the time, uh, but it was it was very popular. But they also released kind of along with that movie uh, a, a Nintendo game. Okay, okay. so <laughs> that's how popular Little Nemo is. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the United States. But around the world, he was popular enough, at least in Japan, to produce a Japanese animation film, uh, as well as a video game to go along with it. (laughs) Yeah, and that's over 100 years old. Yeah. Not the video game. Not the video game. (laughs) But the the character. The character of of Little Nemo (laughs) and his journeys in Dreamland. So, I guess prior to Action Comics 1... um, like in the early 30s and tw- like 20s and early 30s, comics were mostly in the newspaper yeah. themselves. Like they existed to sell papers. Yeah, and which means that the kids weren't necessarily buying those. They were kind of for adults, um, or they were a portion of the paper you, adults could give their kids. But I, they read them as well. I, I can almost guarantee mm-hmm. it. I mean, even today, I think adults 
that's part of the newspaper package when you buy a newspaper. Yeah. And they were mostly humorous strips even back then. Right. Which is what they still are in the newspaper. Yeah. They're uh, the funny pages. Yeah. Like, they weren't these superhero comics in the newspaper. Because it's a four-panel, four to six-panel strip, yeah. you can only tell so much of a story, really, in that time frame. Although Prince Valiant's been doing it forever, so, you know. <laughs> ah, that That's a weird one. I, I tried to get to, into that when I was a kid. Never could. So, what started the Golden Age of Comics? Why was Action Comics number one such a huge deal? I think that um, the story of Superman uh, hit upon just something that struck a chord with people. I think people were looking for this figure. One of it might be the fact that it, um, no one had seen this anthology of comics all in kind of one place. I think action comics, even the the layout today with Superman lifting that that car and just the really strong, sharp lettering in action comics... It's very striking. It catches the eye. So I think that it might be something that just generally people didn't didn't had never seen before. And you know that book wasn't just Superman. There was I think five or six different stories. Yeah, there was there was there was seven I think in total. What's really crazy is that uh, that's not just the first uh, demonstration uh, or then the first showing of Superman, which is what it's known for. Uh, it is also the first appearance of Zatara, which uh, for real deep DC nerds, uh, <laughs> Zatara is the father of Zatanna Zatara, who is uh, a, a big player in Justice League. And she's the magic component. Zatara, the, the magician Zatara was also the person that taught Bruce Wayne uh, uh, how to uh, become an escape artist because he was a he was a stage music, uh, magician, but he also had magical powers. And you know, I bet when they invented that character, clearly none of that was ever planned. It was just oh no no refer- no, no no references yeah. and throwbacks yeah. and I'm sure Bob Kane when yeah. he created Batman <laughs> was not like who could I have? It just happened that uh, they had a story about a magician who I think later on, I don't even think in that issue, but later on had uh, magical powers. <laughs> I think he was just, it was just a story about a stage magician. And he might have. Because I, 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 the other thing too is you can't read Action Comics number one, uh, at least to my knowledge. You might be able to purchase it, but it's not something that, a, a reproduction or an online scan of it. But it's still not in uh, the public domain. <laughs> From my knowledge, and very well, it isn't because then Superman enters the public domain, and that's not something that they want to do because <laughs> DC uh, still makes a m- b- million dollars off of just the S logo. <laughs> now, one thing that's interesting is uh, I've heard that Superman is thought of as the ultimate immigrant, and that's coming from this. Uh, oh yeah, from from this from, history of comic from, books, right? Again. Which, which uh, I think, for, and for, that was part of the reason he might have been so popular at the time because there were so many immigrants coming over to the U.S. Right, and he's not from any. Yeah. Uh, he's not from Earth, and if I recall correctly, even in that comic, um, he's not. He, he isn't even uh, adopted. He he can't. He came from a uh, Krypton. No, well, yes, he came from <laughs> Krypton. 
but he that was pre the whole Kansas story. Right, he yeah. was he didn't grow up with in, Mom uh, Pa Kent. He grew up <laughs> <Smallville>. in <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, uh, he grew up in a orphanage, which is really strange. I mean, for a story about a superhero growing up in an orphanage, in some ways it's like, oh, come on, lay it off. We already know he's like such a sad backstory. <laughs> but I think in some ways they wanted to make Superman the everyman as well. I mean, the ideal gestalt everyman. So why not give him no parents? He has no <laughs> background. He has nothing. There's, in some ways, it's, it, from a storyline point, it's, it's easier to write. Because he has no loved ones. He is almost like a force of nature rather and, than a, a person. And he's doing everything just from his own very goodness. From the goodness of his heart is why he wants to save people. Like, right. He's, he's not, not... He has no connection to, to humanity. He just wants to help. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't... He's, he's, he's completely altruistic. Yeah. He has no motives and no reasoning. He's not paid. Uh, he is... A ideal of humanity that I think people could look up to. Uh, unfortunately, nowadays, he is a goody two-shoes, and nobody likes him in the <laughs> comics world. Well, I can't say that. There are a lot of people that do like Superman. But if you talk to, like, hardcore nerds, it's Batman all the way. Well, that's why you have the modern incarnation of Superman, and it's they're trying to make him a more dark character in the new movies, and... Because he's not, but the thing is that you alienate the super, the real, the quote unquote real Superman fans because he's not dark. Yeah, and you're never going to win over Batman fans that way. I mean, and it looks like in the in the Batman versus Superman movie that's coming out next year, that Superman's Ooh. almost the bad guy of it. Well, yeah, because <laughs> he kind of is. I believe in that storyline. Uh, what they're getting at is that um, Superman goes a little crazy. <laughs> and Batman has to take him down a peg or two uh, with a kryptonite bullet. No. <laughs> yes, he has a kryptonite bullet in some storylines. Batman, Batman has so much kryptonite. <laughs> he just uh, has it on his, uh, on his belt. He's got... Well, no, that's the... the Next to his... Uh, his the uh, actual emblem, apparently, is where he keeps a kryptonite bullet. Right next to his shark repellent. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. Uh, I don't, but I do. Uh, it's so bad, it's good. No, it's a... I, I apologize. Of course, that's not a... The kryptonite bullet's not in there. It's a kryptonite ring. Okay. Because uh, he, Batman doesn't use guns only when he wants to shoot Superman. <laughs> but he's got to, like, go back to the Batcave to get the Batman. There's gun. no consistency with, with those rules. No, um, there. Uh, I would say in Batman's case, that is the only time he fires. And I could be very wrong. I'm sure someone's out there. Excuse me, sir. Batman did fire a gun and issue blah blah blah. There always is. But as far as most people know, and, and I have I've read a number of Batman comics. Uh, he never owns and fires a gun except when he is shooting bat or shooting Superman with a kryptonite bullet. We're way off topic. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is there's there are layers and layers and layers and layers that exist within DC Comics because it's been around for 70 plus years.
So anyway, the success of Superman led to a whole lot of other superheroes in the Golden yeah. Age, which... We got Flash. Yeah. We got Aquaman. We got Batman. We got Batman. We were just talking about Batman. Because Batman's amazing. Captain America, the ultimate uh, superhero from that time. Because let's think about what this time period is. World War II. Oh. <laughs> and somebody had to punch Hitler in the face. Wasn't that, was that the first issue of Captain I America? I want to say that's the first issue <laughs> of Captain America, is Captain America just put laying The cover in, of it. Yeah, the cover of it. Just yeah. laying a right hook right into good old Hitler's face. Yeah. So there's a good reason these characters were popular at this time. Yeah, who doesn't want to see a good punch to Hitler? <laughs> I would say probably every single American wanted to punch Hitler in the face. <laughs> and they could live that out in the pages of Captain America. <laughs> so I guess what is after then the Golden Age? What do we get into? Well, after the Golden Age, uh, the Golden Age... They have the end listed as 1949, which, you know, post-World War II. There's a reason these stories started to wane in popularity, you know? We already beat Hitler. Nobody wants to... (laughs) We didn't need these stories to tell us we were awesome. We knew we were awesome because we beat (laughs) Hitler. And we dropped a giant atomic bomb on Hiroshima. And suddenly that became the theme of everything. I think in general... And I think what everyone should take away from this conversation as we go along, which I'm sure you're maybe starting to notice, comic books really mirrored the public popular consciousness. <laughs> they existed because of these thoughts, and maybe not necessarily in the, the more rural areas of America, but if you get down to the high-populated areas where these books would have sold... Uh, these these are the underlying themes. These are the worries and thoughts that are going behind Americans Americans' heads at the time. So yeah, when we dropped a giant atomic bomb in World War II, fears of atomic war started to creep up in the public consciousness, and that ushered in the atomic age of comics, which lasted through the mid fifties. And in this, you know, superheroes they kind of fell out of favor um they still published them you know superman batman they all kept running yeah those never stopped (laughs) they didn't they just didn't sell quite as much yeah uh the things that became super popular in this time period is science fiction horror just things that reflect the fears of the time yeah weird weird tales tales from the crypt tales from the crypt which eventually became a tv show on hbo which was super creepy as a child (laughs) Uh, and I only caught glimpses and snatches because I should not have been watching it as a child, but I did, like probably like many people my age, uh, in, existed and still had relevance, even though uh, there's no way I could have seen an actual Tales from the Crypt from that time period. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those those images of those old comic covers are still classic, like, because... Yeah. I mean, if you watch Creepshow, like the movies in the 80s, like that's the whole theme of them is that it's basically supposed to be like a collection or um, an old school pulp comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the so many horror comics, so many things that focused on monsters that mutated from uh, everything went back to nuclear explosions or, you know, nuclear power. Oh. It's yeah, just the whole the whole thing, yeah. It's it, the whole Godzilla phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
that Which is, was the fear at the time. And yeah. What... Even amongst uh, the Japan, the world, really, but the, the Japanese especially felt it, of course. And that's why Godzilla originally existed. <laughs> even though now Godzilla has nothing to do with that time period. Uh, no, they t- you know, even that, that new Godzilla movie that came out still touches on that concept. Yeah, they concept. touch back to it. Like, they, yeah, in the, in the opening credits. And, they... and even with those, I mean, those monsters eat atomic energy. I mean, it really, you know, I'm going to scratch that. It really still is kind of in the public consciousness. Yeah. I mean, we're getting a little off topic, but yeah, they also really referenced, like, the Fukushima nuclear power plant meltdown. Yeah. And that new Godzilla. And there was a, a relaunch of that, that the yeah. grown fear of, of atomic war and... and a, a, Atomic destruction. Yeah. So that's that's what really permeates these Atomic Age comics. Um, and you have things like The Thing and It Came From Outer Space and War of the Worlds and all these like science fiction monsters and you know giant nuclear ants that eat people and <laughs> right the, the 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 stuff that started to make its way into cinema and yeah. television as well, mostly film. But to a lesser extent, I think uh, TV too. So, yeah, it was it was a growing age for those genres. But also, true crime genres really gained a lot of popularity at this time. Well, yeah, I mean, this is post prohibition, so that it's, the stories of that prohibition time period, I think, still were very popular. People wanted to read about gangsters and organized crime and. Which still exists. Cops today. and robbers. Yeah, cops and robbers. It still <laughs> exists. Uh, true crime novels, uh, true crime books, and, <laughs> and TV shows in general, sensationalist news stories. Those are all still very, very popular in the public consciousness. And this led to a lot of controversy at the time too. All of this focus on the grotesque and the weird and the horror and one could violence. say one could say a maturation. Of comic books, maybe us moving more in an adult feel and in adult <laughs> themes. I mean, well, I'm not talking the dirty pages. I'm talking <laughs> just the concepts of crime and horror and science fiction are, are more adult. Kids aren't, not to say they're not necessarily interested in it, but these are not things that we normally show. We don't like to show kids scary stuff. Kids love it, though. I kids, mean, I know yeah, I seek it do. out. Uh, yes, they'll, they'll seek it out anyway, which... <laughs> Unfortunately, is not what uh, what Frederick Wareham actually yeah. knew at the time. This all changed in 1954 when uh, German psychiatrist Frederick Wertham published a oh, book. Excuse me. <laughs> published a book called "Seduction of the Innocent: uh, The Influence of Comic Books on Today's Youth," and. He rips comic books a new one in this book. It, he blames all of society's ills on, on comic, comic books, books, on kids reading comic books. I, I think it's so funny is we look back now, and I think there are probably there's books about this about everything. There are books about this with video games, about movies, about TV. Uh, any form of media is corrupting our children. Yeah. So yeah, in the fifties it was comic books. In the eighties it was Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. To in much, the 90s yeah. with video games yeah and then yeah, yeah. yeah all around <laughs> like every, this happens every decade yeah <laughs> everything is destroying our kids at all times oh 60s it was rock music or yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. any form of media is destroying the the quality of our youth yeah. and yet 
everyone turns out fine. <laughs> but that's neither. That's just a personal opinion. That's neither here nor there. Uh, but getting back to this guy. Yeah, yeah. He published real, this book and it, piece of work. it blew up. Uh, people were suddenly terrified of their kids reading these books. I mean, they saw Batman running around with this uh, orphan that he adopted and they thought suddenly there was homosexual themes in it. Yeah, which is is joked about. Uh, <laughs> probably Nowadays, I would say almost in poor taste. Uh, but at the time, uh, I think that there was... People had an unhealthy fear of this, yeah. which was real stupid. Yeah, but it, was, it was the 50s. It I was mean, the 50s. Yeah, it, was it was the Red was, Scare. Yeah, it was we in were, the middle of communism. We were all worried about so much stuff. Uh, not to mention uh, we were worried about atomic bombs, but we are worried about communists. We are worried about tons of things. So yeah. why not be worried about comic <laughs> books destroying our kids? Yeah, like um, he, this doctor, um, he was a psychiatrist, was... You know, having a correlation between sexuality, violence, uh, drug use, like every any negative vice that you could possibly think of, or uh, it was all going back to the kids reading these books. These, these darn comic books. <laughs> um, so that led to a congressional hearing where they called in some of the publishers of these comic books at the time, and... I mean, this was big news. I mean, if you've ever... Yeah. I, I highly recommend the book The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay because, uh, I mean, that's a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Michael Chabon. For one. Yeah, for <laughs> step, one. Step one. Yeah. <laughs> people think of it as a good book. Yeah. And it really deals with uh, a lot of these issues that come up. Um, the two main characters uh, were comic book writers in the 40s, and they really did the whole superhero genres. But uh, one of them happens to be homosexual and they get called in for the like it becomes this huge scandal and yeah yeah this whole congressional hearings and um the, it really deals with a lot of a lot of these issues so it's definitely a book worth reading it's very interesting and paints a really good picture of that time and place oh it's yeah it, it was so out of all that uh yeah. out comes... of all that the comics code authority was adopted for a long, long time. Yeah. I remember seeing that that symbol on my comics as a kid <laughs> and not really understanding what it meant. Yeah, this was the comics industry doing this themselves as a way to show that they're, you know, that they're actually taking this into a, taking these uh people's fears into account. Yeah. That they're they're self-censoring and they came up with this whole code similar to how in the 50s in the film industry adopted the uh their whole code. Yeah, what was that I, called? The Hayes Code. Yes, that's it. 1930 to 1968. Uh, the Motion Picture Production Code. Yeah. Popularly known as the Hayes Code. Yeah, so this is basically comic book's answer to the Motion Picture uh, Production Code, or the Hayes Code, which put into, you know, guidelines for how what can be shown or what, uh, what can be done. So this was uh, how comic books tried to survive these scandals you know the... and this this underlying fear that existed with the US population <laughs> it was really just something that they did to try to survive because <laughs> if they didn't they were going to get pulled from shelves and they weren't going to sell anything except <laughs> in I'm, yeah, who knows maybe through mail order but that would have it would have been the death of comics you would have, we would be reading comic books in newspapers, and that's it. 
Yeah, and, and this thing, uh, it, I'm not going to read the whole code, but I'm going to pick a few of the, the rules from the code. Um, it says that crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust to the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil, and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. All scenes of horror, excessive bloodshed, gory or gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, and masochism shall not be permitted. And no comic magazine shall use the words horror or terror in its title. That was actually a rule. So some of these, like The Vault of Horror, these these comic book series that were based around horror... Tales from the Crypt. ...basically got all canceled because of this. They got the kibosh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this was adopted in 1954. The Atomic Age, as it's credited, uh, ends in 1956, pretty much as a direct result of some of these rules. And thus uh, enters in the Silver Age of comics. Mm -hmm. Really a return back to the Golden Age. Uh, Now, comic book collectors will tell you a big difference between Golden Age and Silver Age, and then Silver Age into Bronze Age and and further. (laughs) Comics actually changed print form. Golden Age are a different size than Silver Age. Silver Age are big, yeah, uh, which is real weird. Uh, and then they got smaller in, in, when they hit Bronze Age into what they are now, uh, which pretty much is it's always it stayed in that same format as far as printing is concerned. Yeah, but there was it was more than that. The Silver Age was the 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 rise and the release of. Of now, I would say what is our most famous comic book heroes, at least, is at the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is when Marvel really had a lot of a string of huge hits. Um, I mean, I don't even know when Marvel officially began as a company, but they were back at the same time. Yeah, yeah, they were back. I, I mean, they weren't necessarily. Uh, I, I would say Action Comics was first, but when DC actually became DC, which was it's, it's called Detective Comics. Yeah, it's Detective Comics. It's Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was originally Action Comics and, and Detective Comics were printed under the same company, but they didn't have the same name. So eventually, they all became DC Comics. But yeah, Marvel's been around. Yeah, Marvel started in 1939. Yeah, uh, so Marvel is pretty old. Pretty much the same time frame as Action Comics. I mean, if we're looking at the year, that's a year after Superman 1, or after Action Comics 1 came out. Yeah. So, the big hits that came out in the Silver Age, this is when we think of Spider-Man, when we think of Thor, The Incredible Hulk... Iron Man, Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four was probably the first of the huge, of the huge. Yeah, ones at the Fantastic time. Fantastic Four was their first big release, yeah. and I think that it was supposed to um, mirror the Justice League. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, the Justice League originally came out kind of during, during the Silver Age, and in order to combat that, Marvel had to have their own group of superheroes, <laughs> which of course was Fantastic Four. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to note how it kind of took some of the themes of um of the atomic age like a lot of the heroes in the silver age got their powers from you know mutations and from you know atomic radiation right well yeah uh, we got uh hulk with with radiation with gamma radiation uh the x-men are all mutations within the human genome uh fantastic four was from cosmic Cosmic radiation radiation. um thor Straight up just a god. Yeah, Thor's just a nice, interesting fantasy just character. a ridiculous character. 
Uh, and then, of course, Spider-Man from an irradiated spider bite. Yeah. Uh, and Iron Man, money. Yeah. He's that the is ba- a superpower even today. It is. Oh, yeah. We don't want to get into that. That's, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, yeah, he's the Spider-Man. Or not Spider-Man. He's the Batman of Marvel. Yeah. yeah. In that one regard, because he's not a detective. <laughs> but he, his powers come entirely from his intelligence and his money. So yeah, that's I mean the Silver Age is where really where modern comics starts. Yeah. Or where modern comics start. And it's also the first time you see you really see like bad like no happy some some stories not having happy endings where you have like Spider-Man's girlfriend dying and no one liked Gwen. Yeah. Nobody liked that. <laughs> All right, yeah, putting I mean, it back, was... traveling back in time to nerdosity. Uh, yeah, no one liked Gwen. She was voted <laughs> to be killed, uh, which is real sad. They actually brought, eventually did bring her back uh, recently, but at the time, yeah, everyone wanted him to get with Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah, that was nearing the end of the Silver Age. That was the early 70s, uh, late, late 60s, like, 1970 1971 and that kind of transition to more darker themes and yeah they they updated the uh, the comics code to allow uh, allow so, for some of this yeah getting a little bit more into <laughs> some some darker stuff so we get into stuff like conan the barbarian comics uh that's considered now the bronze age which uh they regulated the format that a lot of the comic books would be printed in uh, and that's also where we see more, even more recent um, images and concepts that bled over into what we watch and look at today. Well, I mean, you see stories in, in X-Men um, where they're fighting for their civil rights, basically. And it's really mirroring the culture at the time, because this is right. the 70s. Yep. Uh, uh, civil rights movement. Yeah. Like, Again, we're going to point out, yeah. <laughs> comics mirror the... The, the culture's subconscious thoughts at the time. These, these, these aren't coming out for no reason. These are the people were making statements with these comics, and they weren't necessarily trying to do it to be subversive to children. They were doing it because it was an artistic expression. Now, and it would print money. <laughs> yeah. See, the, the, I think the main difference between like the Silver and the Bronze Age is, is the themes and yeah. that's when violence and you know some of the more adult themes started to creep back into comics in the in the 70s. And I mean it's a the Bronze Age is a very short uh short time period. Yeah, it comparatively it is it is probably one of the shortest just because it it uh it but it was it was very uh prolific as well. Um but yeah, if you go into a comic book shop today, you're probably not going to see a lot of Silver Age stuff. I mean, that's going to be the high-priced collector's items. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to see any Golden Age. Uh, good luck on finding Atomic Age. And then Silver Age is right pretty much where a lot of comic book collecting, it, that's where it's most popular. So, Yeah, following the end of the Bronze Age, 1980, we enter the Modern Age, which is when everything just went crazy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that whole... Comic book code started to really fall away and then just didn't happen anymore. I mean, technically they still followed it, but then publishers would come up with offshoots that's their adult line. Like yeah. DC had Vertigo. Um, which which is, uh, that was a, talking about our own comic 
collecting. That I was a big, I am still a big DC Vertigo guy. So, and you had you had a lot of um, British uh, British creators coming over, like Alan Moore, and that's Watchmen. Yeah, can we can we say that Alan Moore uh, probably and Frank Miller are are the American Alan Moore yeah. <laughs> uh, really are the ones that made probably the biggest change in comics at the time. Well, they're both crazy people, but... <laughs> yeah, they are. They have some good uh, they, work from they, the 80s. They have amazing work, <laughs> but they are eccentric. Yeah. They have money, so they're eccentric. Yeah. Uh, Frank Miller and Alan Moore both did some really dark things with some classic characters. Uh, yes. I know they wrote, both wrote for Batman. Uh, Alan Moore had The Killing Joke, which... Very controversial title. And still considered one of the best short stories, short Batman stories, and made a huge change in the Batman mythos. Yeah, yeah. Not going to spoil it. <laughs> but uh, Al- Alan Moore is probably best known for comics like Watchmen, which is considered one of the best novels of all, all it's time. It's considered like it's, one of the best comic books of all time. It's yeah. considered the masterpiece of comics. There's a reason why. That movie is kind of hard to watch, kind of hard to follow, but really great. <laughs> if if you've read the comic, which when you read the comic, you also have to read all the little bits in between. Because <laughs> if you don't, you won't understand what is going on and you don't get the depth and, and quality of the story. There's a lot of themes and subtext going on in those books. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Moore does this over and over and over in a lot of his books. Uh, and he doesn't write... Only super, uh, like superhero stories. There's no. He's written a lot of. I mean, Alan Moore's written a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, it's that his some of his own work because Watchmen is technically his own work, but it is owned by DC Vertigo, yeah. uh, which is unfortunate because uh, he, I think, in many ways, he feels like a lot of his properties, things that he helped create and uh, mature, have been stolen from him. So, which is a real bummer. <laughs> like, if you look at Watchmen, I don't think his name is on any of it, and oh, yeah. and that's yeah. The movie or the the movie, yeah. yeah. Well, Alan Moore is notorious for selling the rights to his um, materials to make into movies and not really caring about how it turns out. Like he'll he'll sell you the rights to anything just for money, but he won't. And then he'll and then, and then he'll hate it. And then he'll hate it automatically. And then get real mad at it, and then <laughs> never talk about it again. Yeah, that's so, what he does. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of all the movies made out of some of his materials, like From Hell, which it's not terrible. Oh, that's it's, a good movie. Yeah, I think it's a decent movie. Yeah, it's no, about I Jack like the Ripper. It's a great Jack the Ripper movie. Um, and I, uh, but League of Extraordinary League Gentlemen, of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which they're talking about rebooting again. Which um, th- th- it's been you know the thing is is I actually follow League and I own a lot of the League books. Um, again, it's a DC Vertigo tie. Oh no, that's not that's uh, that's his own stuff. That's ABC Comics. That's that's yeah. actually under his own uh, comic publishing line. But yeah, it, it's uh, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed League. I think League's an interesting concept, and he has the been. The movie is terrible. The movie's not good. The movie was. I was sadly pretty... the last thing that uh, Sean Connery ever did before he decided oh. to retire. That's what he went out on. Yeah, but his <laughs> performance in that movie is good. It was storyline things that happened in that movie uh, were not good. Yeah, they tried to make them. They tried to turn them into uh, a superhero troop, and realistically, they're a collection of misfits. 
and they really didn't play that up very much. No. Because they made their superpowers good. Yeah, they were all, like, in in the books, these are not good people. No, no, many of them are very (laughs) terrible people. Um, The only two, what we could say, are even remotely good characters are um, Alan... Uh, Quartermain, and he was like a drug addict through half yeah, the book. Yeah, he smoked a lot of <laughs> opium in that book, uh, which uh, a product of the time frame in which that book exists. But yeah, and then we have um, uh, the what is it? she's the leader of the group, um, the vampire lady, the vampire lady, Mina. Uh, Mina, yes, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And her only crime is that <laughs> she was attacked by a vampire, <laughs> and is a woman, I guess. Um, we're not going to get into that, but, <laughs> but uh, they're really the only two good characters. They have flaws. Yeah. They're flawed. And they, in the movie, they're not flawed. They're yeah, just, they even just turned Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde into the Incredible Hulk, basically, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yes, he is that Hulk character, but they play off of that concept. And realistically, he's so intelligent, he's just evil. He's yeah. not a good guy. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, the, sometimes they touch on that with the Hulk. Like, the Hulk is a force of nature, and the Hulk destroy things. Or, d- Hulk destroy things. Uh, Hulk yeah, smash. Hulk smash. <laughs> but, uh, and that he's not in control. Uh, I would say that uh, Mr. Hyde is always in control. <laughs> he just does whatever he wants. Um, which is to say is to kill and destroy things and um, others be a villain be, <laughs> be a real bad dude yeah. but yeah the so the mod, I mean the modern age is really uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you got Sandman from uh, Neil Gaiman and all, anything really anything that is because I think a lot of people forget TMNT was originally a comic book yeah. and it isn't that it's first so issue violent that first <laughs> issue is great <laughs> And I'm just picturing the comics Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the film adaptions and TV shows. It really, it was the TV show. The yeah. TV show led into the movies. Uh, the movie is like a hybrid of the comic books and the cartoon. Because uh, the and really, it's more like the comic than it is like the cartoon. Well, the first movie. The first movie. Yeah. After that, it was them. full. <laughs> they went full cartoon land yeah. after that, which is sad because. It's such a serious story about you know, teens growing up in kind of a violent it's, situation. It's a really serious story about these mutant about turtles. mutant turtles. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous and it's violent and it's bloody and it's craziness. It's like, kind of it, it is kind <laughs> of an insane story, but it was so well done because it's it it's almost like Sin City for kids. <laughs> Which I know sound or for teens rather, because Sin City is those far. Books, those from, books were not for kids. Uh, yeah. Not for little kids, yeah. I would say. But for teens, I think I think they fit fine. <laughs> um, yes, they were a little more on the violent side. I mean, then again, that comes down to what parents and, and but I, they were made for teens. That's the intended audience for the original TMNT. Yeah. So that's that's the modern age, and you know it says that the modern age goes through the present, but. I'm not sure it does. We both kind of discussed this, and we and Joel brought up an interesting point that with all these movies and TV shows coming out, really feel like comics have have changed again. They don't have that same underground feel. They're in the public consciousness constantly. They're mainstream, and now instead of the the comics like 
being adapted to the movies, I feel like the movies and TV shows are starting to change the comics mm. quite thoroughly. Yeah. I like think they're they're, yeah, they're rebooting them and redoing comics left and right. The uh, new Fifty Two, yeah, which the is Ultimate a, Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's well, Ultimate's been a while. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're behind the times, Joel. I am. I'm not up. I know yeah. that I read a story recently about them going to reboot again, though. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yep. No, because they there's so much that they want and need to do. Um, and you talk to old time comic fans, reboots are nothing nothing new, and some people get a little upset at it, but we have gotten so used to reboots as far as comic book fans are concerned, at least with, with superhero comics, that it's just par for the course. Yeah. It's a whole new line of stories. <laughs> it's something else that I can get on the ground floor and, and start collecting. And really, that's why they do these reboots. Well, I've noticed also, there, that at least in the comic industry, they seem to be making more of an effort to be inclusive and not have everybody be white male superhero. Like... Which, but that's a that's a product of the times. Yeah. Because like, the the people that are into comic books and into comic book movies are everybody. Yeah. The growing audience that the movies have brought in, um, you know, before it was very much a white male nerdy. Um, yeah. Group that we was really can't. Comic books. You can't. That's you, a stereotype. You could make an you could make an argument against that, <laughs> but let's all face facts. That's kind of who these comic books were being made and and uh, marketed toward. Is the the sad, lonely teenage boy <laughs> who was white. So now you know they're rebooting and they're having you know a female Thor and it's a thing. A I don't Hispanic know Hispanic Spider Man or I'm okay with that actually. Yeah. Uh, that I'm all right with, but I'm female right Thor, with, you know, I'm like. Bring it on. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, is is it something that I'm I'm going to read? Maybe not. I wasn't reading Thor before anyway. I, it's true. If, I wasn't reading. I, I wasn't reading issues. Thor back then, and I probably will not read Thor in the future because uh, I love the character as a concept, but I don't know how his comics are, so I don't know if that's really <laughs> going to strike me. But if they're if they're selling more comics and getting more fans and growing, you know, twenty years ago comics were dying, yeah. and now they're growing. So that seems to me like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're kind of getting close to the we're at the end here. Um, so the question arises, uh, as it always does, because we are a library podcast. <laughs> how does all this tie in to libraries? <laughs> well, one, it's a piece of media that should and does exist within libraries uh, as a form of collection. Yeah, yeah. Even we at BU have a, a small graphic novel slash trade paperback collection. Yeah, and I think a lot of it started. Uh, there was a, a course that we offered a couple years ago on history of comic books, and so we started buying up and building a, a collection of it. And now we have, I mean, it's still a growing collection. We still get new things every once in a while for it. It's been rare as of late. I yeah. would say since I started roughly about a year and a half ago, we haven't really bought a lot. I think maybe one or two books. Yeah. Um, but I think part of that is just that we're not, it's not a course that we offer anymore, unfortunately. And so there's little reason for us as an academic library to support it uh, if we don't have coursework for it. So uh, we just haven't been looking to purchase it. Yeah, I know, I know that uh, I used to work at a public library in town and they had 
a very large collection and it was growing constantly yeah so i know that a lot of teenagers are reading a lot more comic books now yeah it's not it's uh, there are many libraries even have subscriptions to the the monthly publications of the comic books not just the trades themselves um but if you go into your public library you will see numerous numerous comic trade paperbacks for you to check out Unfortunately, a lot of the superhero stuff finds its way to the teen area, um, but a lot of it was made for teenagers. That's the intended audience. Always within a library, we put things where they're supposed to go for the intended audience. Yeah, yeah. The public library I worked at, they had a different section for the adult graphic novels. Yes, and if you go, for those of you who live in the Omaha area, since we're from that kind of Omaha metro area, um, that you'll find... The more adult-themed comics that deal with adult topics are in the adult section, which includes a lot of Batman trades. Um, Yeah. Some of them are very, very dark. And not just for violence, although violence plays its way into a lot of Batman, but just things that happen within that comic are, are dark concepts that really are not... It wasn't intended as a book for, for teenagers, so it shouldn't be there. Yeah. And that's why it isn't. But yeah, that's uh, comics. I have worked in in libraries now for we're probably approaching five years at this point. Um, And ever since I had started at at Omaha Public Library, uh, there had always been a real consistent amount of comics. But even before that, when I was going to the library uh, and checking out comics to read, (laughs) they uh, that was probably ten years ago. And I think they probably started their collections around the year 2000. I think that's really when libraries were starting to make that change. But then again, the trade paperback was starting to grow in popular around the year 2000 as well. Yeah, yeah. And they, I think they got to look at it in the sense that um, comic books are flimsy <laughs> and they fall apart very easily. So putting them on the shelf for any long period of time is not good. It's not, it, they're, they're just not going to last. Yeah, the, the graphic good. novel trade paperback format is much better and easier for collectors, for libraries. For, for, yeah, for yeah. libraries especially. And because they have no, they're not, since they're not a publication, they have no intrinsic value beyond their list price. Uh, and I think that's anyone who wants, a little tip, if you want to get into collecting comic books, um, if you're doing it for the money, uh, go ahead and buy those buy those individual comics. That's your that's your thing. But if you just want to get into the comic book to read it, don't buy the individual covers. You will spend way more money trying to do it that way, and you'll drive yourself crazy. Buy the trades. They don't have that. You oftentimes you will get them for a reduced price because older trades uh, people run sales on those all the time, and uh, they don't have any more value than the 15 to 20 dollars that's on there and you'll get six to ten issues in one go and i know um there's a lot more digital subscriptions and things like that that are being available so if you have a kindle fire or a high def ipad or yeah that's any the new of, any of the newer tablets they'll have a good enough screen that you can actually read them with any real purpose or value yeah. that's the only reason right now that I kind of want to get a tablet because my phone does most of the if I got to look something up if yeah. I got to type something but it, it it can't do comics very well and so 
that would be uh, a big reason for me to get uh, uh, some sort of tablet. And I, I could hear. So, I mean, because I, I kind of want to get into the digital uh, subscriptions. They have uh, some good sales. A yeah, lot. that's yeah. the thing. 99 cent issues. and Yeah, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. It's, it's even, in some ways, that might be cheaper than getting, um, than doing trades. If, if, the, if you want the physical and you don't have one of these devices, buy the trades. But you can get, there. I mean, there's some people that will sell 150 back issues of something, pretty much the whole, whole run, uh, for 10 bucks. 15 bucks because they want to get you to where you're supposed to be in the storyline. <laughs> so you can buy the new ones. <laughs> so you can start spending that $253 a piece for the comics that are being issued right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's smart. Yeah. They're yeah. getting, they're getting better about making it easier and faster for all of us with, with the technology to read it. But even library goers who, you know, People don't have the internet access, that sort of thing. Trades in general make it easy and accessible for those people that don't have it to read these comics. And a lot of times the older storylines are already there if they're not destroyed. Because trades are better than uh, a comic book. But boy, howdy, they don't hold up probably past 50 cirques. I'd say after 50 cirques, they're probably trashed. Maybe even sooner than that. You know, these these are in the teen area. Teens sometimes... <laughs> they get a lot of use. They, they get a lot of use, and teens don't always necessarily think about what they're holding or carrying. So, they, mm-hmm. yeah, they get they get a little trashed out. They get a little grubby, <laughs> as, as we say. So, yeah, this, is, this isn't going away. I think we can, we can look at that. Uh, I, I'd say the comic book craze, I would say eventually we are going to get tired of it. And I... You know, when it comes to the comic book movies, I'm starting to hit the wall. I mean, I'm still excited about some of the ones coming out, but it's almost getting to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, how many more movies do I have to keep track of? We're (laughs) we're older, though. I mean, a lot of these movies are being made for uh, teens and and tweens and even younger kids. And then do you think they're going to get to the point where they finish their cinematic run and then reboot it and start all over and do it again? Uh, It's possible. They could start to move into different different characters and different storylines. Um, and we could be seeing uh, a shake-up that way. It's hard to say. I mean, we won't know for another four years, <laughs> which is crazy. But they to, have this planned out. They have this all planned out. I mean, fans, when they announced that, were like, minds were legitimately blown <laughs> in an era where mind-blowing doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, f- comic book fans were incredulous at, at, the, at the, the prospect that they were going to be getting a movie like every six months for the next four years. Easily, I, and that's even just from, shorter. That's even, just from one company. From one company, <laughs> there not are to four mention or five of them making yeah. these movies right now. <laughs> but yeah, well. that's 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 kind of where comics are right now, um, and that's probably. Let's hope that's where comics stay. <laughs> let's hope that uh, I'm I'm looking forward to more independent comics, more authors trying their hand at writing stories for graphic novels. 
like, more original stuff. Yeah, more I, original stuff. I, I certainly in the publication, um, like monthly publication, World of Comics, getting a little sick of tie-in stuff because I actually work at a comic book store uh, once a week. Uh, I'm, I'm I just work in there and help out and do s- small things. Um, but they all I see along the shelves is a lot of tie-in stuff. And it's a little disheartening that I'm not seeing some original concepts. There are they're few and far between, but well, it's, they don't sell well. It's the same problem with movies these days. Everything is a sequel or a remake or a, or, or or an adaptation or a, of a comic book or a cinematic universe. Of <laughs> or, some sort. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to we have to bring it all back into yeah. something. We can't have we can't make original movies. Yeah, which is a real bummer. But well, that's it, the state of culture right now. Yeah, is. Comic books are as hot as they are probably ever going to be. And it's probably going to stay, hopefully stay that way for a few years. Who knows what we're going to see after that? <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard to say whether or not we get super tired of these movies. But then again, we've been making comic book movies since like Batman back in the 80s. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to get tired of comic book movies. <laughs> Well, maybe they've reached a saturation point, but I don't think they're ever going to go away. No, I don't think it's ever. I don't think we're going to see an end to that. But we are going to have to see an end to this podcast because we are uh, about. So yeah, we're a little over an hour. A little well, over an hour. All righty. Yeah. Once we edit, it'll be shorter, but <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> probably, probably. But uh, yeah, we just want to thank everybody for. Hearing us blather on like a couple of crazy nerds about yeah. something that we probably, and it's not obvious, we both care deeply about <laughs> in some regard. Um, I can't necessarily speak for Joel because I'm not going to put words into his mouth. <laughs> but uh, I will say that comic books have probably been uh, a huge factor in my life since I was a young teenager. Um, I'm reading X-Men and then leading into my adult life reading mostly horror comics, <laughs> horror and science fiction comics. Big surprise, that's where I matured into, like a lot of comics matured into back in the uh, the golden age and the atomic age. <laughs> so with that, everybody, we want to thank you for listening, and have a good evening. Enjoy your Ant-Man. <laughs> All right, see you next time.